Man, I don't know about you guys, but there's something about worshiping our God that really changes the atmosphere. And I think these guys and girls up here that really honestly make me look good by, by um, let, allowing us to enter into that place of worship. Um, can I tell you that you can worship anywhere? I mean, in the darkness, his mercy is more. And so I just think how beautiful it is to have a team, and we, um, we communicate all week. As we prep, we practice, and this week our word of the day, our word of the week was glory, giving glory to God. Like, do you know what it is to give glory to God? And so um, I just wanted it to keep going. I don't know about you guys. I, didn't, I don't need to come up and preach. Just let, let's just have a time of worship, but Kevin will kill me if I do that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm not Kevin. I'm Reggie. I'm one of our elder pastors here, and it is a joy and a privilege to bring God's word to us today. I'm excited. Um, we have been walking through our summer series of faithfulness in seeing God's perfect provision. And guess what? I know the kids don't like to hear it. Mr. Reggie also doesn't like to hear it because I work in the school system. I'm a dean. You'll hear me talk about that. Uh, we have about two more weeks left in our summer series, right? And so in that, I want you to see God's faithfulness <laughs> as we go through. Parents, I know you're excited to get them back to school. Woo, okay, yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but kids, this is what I want. This new year as we go into it, and Kevin will talk about that, and the elders will talk about it as we get closer. I want you to see God's perfect provision for your life. Because I can think back to just a year or two years ago where we were all at home, and we were stuck in a dark place that we didn't know where we were gonna go. And the word that should not be named, shh, COVID. But we serve a God that's greater above any fear, any worry, any chaos in the world. We, we serve a God that we're not part of this world. We're part of this heavenly kingdom. So I'm excited. So we started last week with the book of Esther. All right, we have two more weeks. Next week, Pastor Chris will share on Esther and Kevin will close us out. Um, but the book of Esther is one of those books that you're like, they don't even talk about God. And so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to pick up today in chapter 2. Um, and Kevin mentioned this, and I just want to remind us that the book of Esther, seven chapters deep, they don't mention God once. And the craziest thing, more so than mentioning God, is God doesn't say anything to them. It seems as though he is quiet or silent. All right? And so as we look at the book of Esther, I want you to realize that there is not a passage, there is not a line, there is not a period, there's not a number in this book that is worthless. Everything placed in this book adds value to our life, has a purpose and a meaning. It's God's plan. And so I want us to realize that today, that today God is going to be teaching us something. He's going to reveal something, and I hope that I can share that with you. And what I think God is teaching us or trying to teach us through his word is how quickly idols how quickly false idols can become our ruin or our downfall. Because chapter three, I'm gonna tell you, it's not that fun. Chapter three is gonna be very dark. And you're gonna say, well, they didn't mention God, Reggie, what kind of sermon? They, they let the Caribbean boy, the, the chill, the peace love boy, the island boy come up here and give the saddest part of the sermon. But I think God is intentional in his word. So those downfall, the idols that I wanna specifically talk about for us today is pride and power. And those words are not uncommon to us here in America. I'm prideful in our country. When we have Olympics, man, red, white, and blue, baby. I'm not even American yet. Red, white, and blue, baby. Team USA. 
My kids are American, my wife's American. I'll get it, don't worry. But I rep USA all day, you better believe it. Yesterday we broke two new records in the track. Um, one a female and one a guy. We, brand new records, they broke their own records. Unstoppable. And then there's power. There's power when we show up with 100,000 deep. You know, USA walkers, you're Sean White, you know, like, yeah. And then you see the little island of Aruba where my family's from. They have like two people. Yay. Pride and power. But can I tell you, I've heard it said this way. Pride and power are twin pillars of sin that can lead someone down a path of devastation and ruin. And here's the definition. This is what I want us to think about when I think about pride. Pride is very relational. It's this way. Pride is very relational. And here's why. Because pride compares what you have to the person next to you. That's why it's relational. It compares what you have to the person next to you. Now, power. I believe that we are a great country. I believe that we've fallen short of what we said we were going to be a godly country but there's still a lot of power here. And I believe that the people in America, it's time to wake up. We need big time revival. We talk about it, but we need big time revival. We need the power of God. But the power that I'm talking about is a little bit different because the definition for power is the capacity or the ability to direct or influence the behaviors of others and the courses of events. A famous poet group, now, this will show you my age. I know you guys are like, well, he looks like he's 12. He talks about his kids. He looks like he can't grow a beard. Okay, ha, ha, ha. I can't be as cool as Kevin or Scott, but a famous poet group that I love, that I remember back in the day, um, they had this idea about power, pride, respect. They had these lines, and maybe you will recognize it, and if you don't recognize it, don't look it up. Kids, don't look it up. But this is how it goes. <clears throat> What's the key to life? Money, power, respect. What you need in life, money, power, respect. We'll be eating right, money, power, respect. You can sleep at night. You see the light, but what's the key to life? Okay, don't look it up. <laughs> but the question that is stated in this poem or this song or that idea that the artist had or they were trying to get us to latch onto this idea of money, power, respect. It was DMX, okay? Don't look it up. <laughs> Lil' Kim, don't look it up. Show you my age, 90s hip-hop. Um, these false idols about money being your satisfaction, power, and respect will get you everything. It so quickly can be taken away from you. And so I want you to realize that you will never find your satisfaction. So today, that's where we're going to continue in the book of Esther. Just reminding you of the book of Esther. Famous book of our queen, humble Jewish beginning. Esther in chapter one and two, we see here that she, um, she and the people of Israel in this area are scattered abroad in a Persian empire. Okay, we know that they're under a horrible, power-hungry, sinful, those are nice words to describe this man, King Ahasuerus. Say Ahasuerus. I feel like you have to do a vlem in the back of your throat. Ahasuerus. Our King Xerxes as we know him. Right? We learned last week from Pastor Kevin, who did a great job, that Esther makes her way through this horrible beauty pageant. All right? It was not fun. It's not the veggie tale version. There was no songs in Esther. Esther never sang a song. In the fairy tale version, in the veggie tale version, there is no song. Okay? It's a horrible thing to see what happens, but God moves her to the top where she ends up becoming the queen of Persia. But she never shares her identity or her ethnicity because of the advice of her cousin, who happens to be the guy that adopted her, who also put her in this beauty pageant, her cousin Mordecai. 
So we're going to pick up today in chapter 2, verse 19, and work our way through chapter 3. So if you have your copy of scripture, you're reading along on your phone, would you follow along with me? Let's read God's word. Let's engage with him today. So Esther chapter 2, verse 19. When the virgins were gathered a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Wink, wink. Wink, wink is going to be my word for like pay attention, put a highlighter on that, okay? Esther had not revealed her family background or her ethnicity as Mordecai had directed. She obeyed Mordecai's orders as she'd always had while he raised her. During those days while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the entrance, became infuriated and planned to assassinate King Ahasuerus. When Mordecai learned of the plot, he reported it to Queen Esther and she told the king on Mordecai's behalf. Wink, wink. When the report of the invest was investigated and verified, so they verified it to make sure, I want to know how they did that, um, but both men were hanged on the gallows, and this event was recorded in the historical record in the king's present. Winks, wink. Here we go. Chapter 3. After all this took place, King Ahasuerus honored Haman. What? Okay, there it is. You can talk to me. Son of Hamadatha the Agagite, he promoted him in rank and gave him a higher position than any other officials. The entire royal staff at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman because the king had commanded this to be done for him. But Mordecai, our boy, right, would not bow down or pay homage. Wink, wink. The members of the royal staff at the king's gate, they asked Mordecai, why are you disobeying the king's orders or the king's command? When they had warned him day after day he, and he still would not listen to them, they told Haman, ordered to see Mordecai's actions to see if they would be tolerated since he had told them he was a Jew. You ever have those people in your life, sorry, off topic, you ever have those people in your life that, you know, things are going the way it's supposed to, you're doing your thing, but they always feel like they have to kind of like step on you a little bit on your toes? That's what Haman had. You don't want those people in your circle. You want the friends that are building you up, that are encouraging you like, hey, okay, I see that, but you need to keep on track. You need to keep going. So we'll continue. Verse five. When Haman saw that Mordecai was not bowing down or paying homage, he was filled with rage. And when he had learned of Mordecai's ethnic identity, wink, it seemed repugnant to Haman to do away with Mordecai alone. So he planned to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout Ahasuerus' kingdom. In the first month, the month of Nicene, the king Ahasuerus' 12th month, the per, that is the lot, was cast before Haman for each day in each month, and it fell on the 12th month, the month of Adar. Then Haman informed King Ahasuerus. Here we go. You guys ready? This is what he says right here. There is one ethnic group scattered throughout the peoples in every providence of your kingdom, keeping themselves separate. Their laws and are different from everyone else's, and they don't obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. That's a nice way of saying things. Don't tolerate them. So here he goes. If the king approves, let an order be drawn up, uh, drawn up authorizing the destruction, and I will pay 375 tons of silver to the officials of the deposit in the royal treasury. The king removed his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jewish people. Wink, wink. Then the king told Haman, the money and the people are given to you to do with as you see fit. 
the royal scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and the order was written exactly as Haman commanded. It was intended for the royal satraps, the governors of each of the providences, and the officials of each ethnic group, and written for each providence in its own script, and to each ethnic group in its own language. They went all out. They used a lot of stamps here, all right? It was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the royal signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to each of the royal providences telling the officials to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jewish people, young and old, women and children, and plunder their possession, listen to this, on a single day. This wasn't gonna take weeks. They were planning to do it one day. The 13th day of Adar, of the 12th month, a copy of the text issued as law throughout every providence was distributed to all the peoples so that they might get ready for that day. The couriers left, spurred on by royal command, and the law was issued in the fortress of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink while the city of Susa was in confusion. What a way. There's a lot to take in. We're going to break it down. In these chapters, we see here, just to cover chapter two to end it out, we see that Esther's cousin Mordecai, he's some official because he's at the king's gate, not the enter of the gate of the city, but he's at the king's gate, right? We see that he hears of a plot or assassination. Someone's trying to kill the king, the Persian king, the one who was crazy. We can go back to chapter one and two next week, or you can listen back to Kevin's stuff. Um, he was a crazy king. He was deceitful. He was sinful. Like, I would have been like, yeah, take him out. Go ahead. Y'all good? Y'all need help? I can give you your swords. Mordecai didn't do that. He tells Esther, basically his daughter, his adopted daughter, and she informs the king. They find out the truth, and they basically hang these two gentlemen. Now, at the end of chapter two, you gotta realize that Esther, our star of our story, is in the palace. She's the queen, right? She's the wife. She made it to the top. As a Jewish girl, they don't know that. And Mordecai, we expect him at the beginning of chapter three to receive a promotion, a raise, some kind of new status, a new, maybe a new badge. You can get to the front door now. But we also need to understand the importance before we move on to why Esther gave credit to Mordecai, which it was due. Um, Esther was a Jewish refugee. Now, when I was talking with the elders about ideas, and I have my Django block, so I know it's there. Kids, we're going to use it in a minute. But I wanted to bring my passport, and I wanted to bring my wife's passport because I'm an immigrant. I'm legal. I have my green card, I have my residency, right? But I wanted to show you the differences that when you see the blue American passport, you go, ah, that's family. When you see the red, and mine isn't written in English, it's written in Dutch, the Koninkrijk of Holland, of Netherlands, the Kingdom of Holland is what it's called. You're a little confused. You start to twil tilt your head and wink your eyes. You're like, I don't know what he's saying. That's what she felt like. And so what she was doing, she was like, hey, I'm the queen. I need to get people in my circle, my team, my squad, right? You're only as tough as the people back in you, right? So she wanted Mordecai because at the end of that, we read that it was written in the king's record because what would happen in the Persian empire is the king would reread that and he would pour out blessings on the people who would help him, right? But that doesn't happen. Again, it's no veggie tales. It's no fairy tale Disney world. We don't, we're not paid by Disney, by the way. And chapter three doesn't begin the way we expect it. Here we are reminded of the reality of the injustice of our fallen, broken world. So every good story, when you look at movies, when you watch movies or good stories, there's always something called a crisis point. Have you ever heard of that? A crisis point. It's the moment where 
The hero's got to stand up and make a move. Am I going to do this? There's a crisis. There's something coming. The end of the world, something is happening. This is where we find ourselves today in our story, right? The Jewish people, the Israelites that are scattered abroad, they're in grave danger. The people of God are coming down to an end here. Maybe you can remember a time where you were possibly passed over for a promotion. Don't raise your hand. Maybe, (laughs) Richard, I said don't raise your hand. Maybe you were looked over for a scholarship or for a trip or for praises that you deserve, that you worked hard on. Maybe you found yourself, and I have been there, I found myself time and time again on the sidelines or benched. And I was like, coach, put me in, I'm ready to go. And you felt like, well, I was worthy, I worked hard and I put in the work. This is what happened to Mordecai in chapter three, verse one. We see there here that Haman receives an award and a promotion to be number two in command to the king, the king of Persia. Now, we're not given the story why, we don't know why, but as we break down chapter three, I want us to see some pictures of what we think Haman might have been. So um, Haman, we're introduced to this character. Esther fades out for a little bit, and now Haman. Most theologians or pastors, they call Haman, they give him the title of Haman the Horrible. Have you ever heard of that? Haman the Horrible, because of the evil in his heart, because of his sinful nature and his depravity and what he sets out to do. Church, essentially his pride and his desire for power causes him to be angry with one man that he decides he wants to annihilate an entire people group. This is basically a preemptive holocaust. Haman the horrible in chapter three in some ways, and this is gonna sting a little bit because it stung me this week, may actually be a mirror image of potential idols in my life and yours. This is what I want us to see. It's not the desire alone that is the problem. It is not the desire alone that is the problem. It is the intensity of that desire that makes it sinful. John Calvin says it this way, he puts it this way. The evil in our desire or our hearts doesn't typically lie in what we want, but in what we want too much. My mama used to say too much of a good thing is a bad thing. You heard that? Sounded like, Forrest Gump there, I was trying. In the story here, we see the depths of power, the depths of pride, the depths of injustice, the confusion, confusion of human society or struggle scattered throughout this book of Esther. We see what we call life. And as we have two more weeks left to finish out the book of Esther to see God's faithfulness, his faithful and God's perfect provision, we see here that God's God is gracious and he's merciful and he's sovereign in the inner workings of every detail of our lives through his plan, Jesus Christ. In other words, church, Haman shows us the danger and the vices of sins that you and I can relate to here today. As we look around this world, I don't know if you guys noticed, but gas prices are going down. Thank you, Jesus. But there's a lot of things going on. I think about, I think about Ukraine a lot. Um, my brother-in-law, we adopted a niece, I mean, we, because we are family, adopted a niece from Haiti, and it is still devastating to go to Haiti. They're still walking on streets filled with trash. We have an orphanage, a children's home there. And I think about the world and the society and the chaos. I think about in our backyard, Orlando, one of the, I think it's number three in the biggest trafficking for children. I'm like devastated. I'm like, God, like, I wish you made me a warrior to like go out and take some people out. But he's like, Reggie, like, I've given you your giftings, just like I give the church, and we need to stand up, right? Can I tell you that in chapter three, God seems silent, and it's honestly scary. 
And it's usually when God is silent is when we hear the enemy's roars or prowls. It was when they're the loudest. And this is the tension. So let's break down chapter three, okay? We're gonna break down chapter three. You guys ever play Jenga? So I wanted to get this one because I, I really love um, my son's class. He's in the little class back there. He's a three-year-old. And him and Oliver have a good time. And I wanted to get some Jenga blocks for them, right? And so we're going to just take away some blocks. So his favorite color is blue. So I'm going to go with this one. Sorry, Rich. I'm going to put it right next to the piano. All right, if this falls during the sermon, then it didn't work, right? All right, so two blocks. I'm not going to tell you what it represents, but as we go through, you'll see. In verse 2 through 4, we see that Mordecai is refusing to acknowledge Haman. He doesn't want to give him the respect that he deserves, that he feels like for this position. The other servants are badgering him, right? Hey, yo, bro, you got to bow. Everybody's bowing. The king says to bow. You better bow. And then they find out, oh, you're a Jew. Interesting. Wink, wink. Remember that. All right. So this idea of him being a Jew comes back, and it honestly, we question, why did Mordecai not bow? He entered his daughter, his cousin, into this horrible beauty pageant. Go back and read chapter one. You'll realize how horrible it was. It wasn't the, you know, Miss USA, Miss Universe. It was by far not that. So we'll take two more blocks. All right, here we go. Let's see. Orange, go Gators. Don't say anything, Ryan Locuson. Take that one, and then I'll take... Nope, okay. Let's go green. Green means go. Okay, verse five through six, Haman gets wind of this. Again, Haman had no clue that this was happening. But again, it's who you have in your circle. Do I fuel you to glorify God, to be the, the not the best version of you because we'll never be the best version. And I shared that weeks before, that God didn't come to earth to love a future you. Ding, 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 light bulb. That's a high note there. I was trying to sing. I wore my voice up. Haman loses his mind. And maybe you've heard about this line, the power goes to the head or the heart. Haman allows one, he can't even handle one person not affirming him. Now, if you have kids, if you've been around kids, um, you can borrow my kids if you'd like to this week, um, then I can go on some dates with my wife. Um, Augie is three and he, and I talk about them a lot because my parents always talked about me when I was a pastor, so when I was payback. Um, but Augie always wants to be affirmed. He's like, Daddy, 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 did you see what I just do? I jumped real high and I fell and busted my knee. But did you see it? It was awesome. Daddy, 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 did you see how I ate that? I ate all my food. Daddy, 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 look how fast you're driving. You're doing great. I can drive that fast one day. He's so fast. And as good parents, we should affirm him. We should affirm him with positivity. Like, hey, Augie, I know you didn't do well here, but you'll get it next time. Augie loves T-ball. He's, I will start again. I'm, Coach Daddy is my name, by the way, when I play t-ball. And he struggles. He doesn't run to the regular bases. He wants to run deep because he watches the Yankees with Daddy, and we want to win. <laughs> Yankees fan. Sorry. Okay. Anyhow, Haman is not re receiving his positive affirmation of who he is, and he lets one man ruin that, and this commits him to killing, to deciding to kill all of the Jews because of Mordecai, just because he wouldn't salute him or bow to him. Here we see someone in position of authority, right, who just struggles with identity, another idol. All right, verse seven. Let's see what we got here. Okay, okay. See what we're working with here. Green. Orange. Can we do one more? Thank you. Summer, is that you? Thank you for your affirmation. Let's do this one because it was easy. 
Okay, I won't put it with the band, it's gonna come up later. Verse seven, we see that Haman and his servants, his boys, his friends, they cast a lot. Now cast a lot is just, they're rolling the dice because that's the way they would speak to their God. So he's rolling the dice to make a decision. Now listen to this. I don't, in our house, we don't use the word dumb or stupid. We say, hey, that wasn't a smart move. Okay, this is dumb. <laughs> and sorry, kids, in this context, you should use it. They basically are deciding to have a mass genocide by rolling the dice saying, all right, what day are we gonna kill everybody? Here we go. Oh, the 12th day. And this is the first month. So the 12th month, okay, we'll knock it out. How horrible is that? The tragedy of idolatry from going to their gods, like it's devastating. The role of the dice for a people's life, this is evil. And we see a lot of that in this world. All right, let's see if I can get any more. Hmm, what are we looking at? Phil, what are you thinking? This one? I feel like you were thinking this one. That's the one? Mama said I should have been a surgeon. I should have been a surgeon. All right. Let's do one more. Let's do one more. Beloved, just bear with me. I wanna, I'm really good at Jenga. So after this, if you want to battle Mr. Reggie, let's do it. Okay. Okay. Again, I'm not going to tell you what the Jenga blocks represent. In verse 8 through 11, we see that Haman takes his plan to the king. He's a manipulator. He knows how to go in there. He's got the sweet words. Hey, Mark, you look good today, man. Your hair, your shoes, all of it. Your socks, gray? Woof. Brings out your eyes. Do your British accent real quick because it's amazing. <laughs> it just be, he's, he's British, okay? Uh, yeah, Brian, that white shirt. You look like a young James Bond. Okay, he knows what to say to the king. And this is the tragedy. He bends the truth. He manipulates the decision. And he makes the Jews seem even more dangerous and defiant than they really are. So this is what he would say. <clears throat> yo, 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 king. You're looking good today, man. I love that signet ring. You look like royalty. Well, I am royalty. I'm a king. No, no, no. I'm just saying you look more like royalty. There's a group of people scattered abroad. They don't deserve to live. Oh, king, oh, king. They're no good for this society. They're not even helping us. Like, I just went to the gas station and they won't even pump my gas. I don't even know what their deal is. Or, hey, they're not, they're not giving us anything. They're not helping us. We don't need them. This is the cruelty of prejudice. And I'm going to get real here. This is a form of racism. Classism with a group of people, right? And it's devastating to see that even in this time, like, this horrible thing's happening. And you know how Haman sweetens the deal with money he doesn't have? Put your money where your mouth is. He says, King, I'm going to give you 375 tons of silver. Because guess what? The treasury, the bank in Persia was running dry. But what Haman was thinking is like, when I kill all these Jews, all these people, I'm just going to take their money and their property and sell it, and we can just use it for our kingdom. So that's what he was doing. And guess what the king says? Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. Yes, do your thing, man. So he says, yes, I think that's a great idea. And he takes off his signet ring. Now, let me share about the signet ring because that's important. Wink, wink. I wanted to get a big, giant pinky ring. I'm not a flashy guy like that. I like the dress, but Jess was, my wife wouldn't let me get a giant pinky ring. Eddie, do you have a pinky ring I could borrow? No, I'm just kidding. So every time I think of pinky ring, I think of Pecho, pinky, rings up, to the moon. Okay, the signet ring, kings, if you ever watch Hamilton or the kings or the godfather, don't watch it with your kids, the godfather, you would kiss the signet ring as a form of respect, but the ring represented the final word. When he put that on the paper, it said, hey, it's signed, sealed, delivered. It's going to happen. And so he gives that to Haman, and now Haman runs out. Now, again, we don't use the word dumb or stupid in our house. We get in trouble. Um, the king doesn't realize he's dumb. 
because he just basically puts a death threat on his new bride, his new queen, Esther, who he doesn't know is Jewish. All right, let's see if I can do one more. Do you guys believe in me? Yeah. No, believe in God. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Thank you guys for affirming me. No, nope. uh, two more. Okay, green. I feel like this guy. Oh, 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 okay. You're supposed to use one hand. I know the rules, but I don't do it right. <gasps> okay. <laughs> Thank you guys for playing along. All right, in verse 12 through 15, decrees, decree hits the press. Fresh off the news, guess what? We're killing everybody. That's literally how it was. If you read that, it says it was in every language, in every tongue, in different scripts. It was sent out by couriers, by satraps, the governors, the providences. He says, all in one day, the Jews must be plundered. They will be executed. So this is how he would have written it. Good Persian people, on this day, on the 12th month, we are going to annihilate all the Jews. You mean Bob living right next to me? Yeah, he's Jewish. Go ahead and take him out. And you can have their property. And it closes in verse 15 with the king and Haman sitting down for a drink and the city of Susa completely in confusion, completely freaking out. We see the inevitability of corruption in our fallen world. All right, beloved, now walk with me. Close your eyes. No, don't close your eyes. Just walk with me here. Imagine if we at Beloved Church got the news, CNN, Fox, BBC, all of them, I don't care, whatever, Sports Center, all of it, okay, ESPN, you get the news, hey, we are going to annihilate every person that comes to Beloved Church. Can we make it real? So you guys are visiting today. I love having you guys, by the way. We're going to annihilate you. Everybody come to Beloved Church and destroy them. And as we hear that, we see our president on the TV screen taking a sip with the first lady or something and saying, yeah, we just signed it out. Here we go. How devastating. So put yourself in the Israelites' shoes. Put yourself in Mordecai's shoes. Put yourself in, Quester, in Esther who doesn't even know yet. Who do you turn to? Who do you lean on? Now, if you know anything, and I'm going to cover up on now all the wink winks. If you know anything about Old Testament or the Hebrew culture, remember in Esther chapter three, verse one, Haman is introduced as the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. Mordecai in chapter two, verse five, if you go there, you'll see he's introduced as the son of Kish, a Benjaminite, which is from the tribe of Israel, the youngest tribe, right? Haman as an Agagite is the descendant of Agag. Now, the way these people used to make their names or come up with their groups was from a king that did something awesome, that won a battle. That's how you would take their name. The king of Amal the Amalekites, who were the descendants of Amalek. Now, back in the day, the Israelites, so go with me, beyond the Exodus, they're coming out of the Exodus, they're en route to the promised land, they're tired, they're vulnerable, they immediately encounter an enemy, the Amalekites in Rephidim. They attack God's people. But fear not, God raises up Joshua and he leads them to victory. Woohoo! Go Israelites, we beat the Amalekites. But it doesn't stop there. Later on in 1 Samuel chapter 14 and 15, the first king, kids, do you know who the first king of Israel was? Saul. Yes! The first king, Saul, he has another running with the Amalekites. And as an act of judgment, God basically says to him, hey, I want you to wipe out the Amalekites completely. But again, human flaws, we think we know better than God. Saul decides, you know what? I'm gonna save the king, whose name just so happens to be Agag, and I'm gonna save some of his spoils and royalties. I'm gonna keep it for myself. The Lord is not pleased with his disobedience. 
Now here's your light bulb should be going out. This is why Haman is so angry with Mordecai. Because in verse 10, as well as four other times in the book of Esther, Haman is worded as the enemy of the Jews, the enemies of the Jewish people. Because he's an Amalekite trying to destroy the people of God, the Israelites. All this goes back to Amalek and Joshua and Saul. It goes back to Jacob and Esau. It goes back to Cain and Abel. It goes back to our fall, our human nature falling from, with sin. Mordecai would have known this too, which is possibly the reason why he chose not to bow, which is possibly why he told Esther not to give up her true identity. He chose to take a stand. He chose to fight or die on that hill. Now, I love this line. It's not for me, but I love using it, and I share it with you guys many times. We as believers, we're not going to fight or die on hills that does not look like Calvary. Sorry. We can have political disagreements. We can have favorite color disagreements. We can have college team disagreements. We can have my hair's curlier, and you thought it was straight. I don't know. But we're not going to disagree where it's going to separate us from what God is doing. And so... We don't know that full story there, and we hope that God will reveal that to us. But in those moments of uncertainty, in those moments where you feel as though you didn't get what you deserve, what was owed to you, and you feel that God is far away, and you feel like you're surrounded and alone, church, this is the title of the sermon, Never Fold. Don't surrender. Don't give up. All right? You don't know if you were right there. If God was pushing you, he's stretching you because he's like, listen, if I get you right here, that's your breakthrough. This is not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. This is the idea of we take these as our idols. My family, I love my family. They can become an idol. All right, I love music. I don't know about you guys. I'm so jealous of the band. Next week I get to play again. I'm so excited. Okay, like I get jealous of, like I put them as an idol. And so I'm like, this is my life. And this is how wonky it is. And it's not on really on a firm foundation here. It's not on God. It's not centered. It should be. And all it takes, money, power, respect. We think it's going to satisfy us. All it takes is... Thank you. One small move, one small move, and everything crumbles beneath your feet. When you wake up in the morning, I don't know about you guys, I'm thankful for my first breath. God, you continue to give me air in my lungs. May it be for your glory. Oh, God, I get to drive 45 minutes to my job in traffic. Thank you that I get to be stuck in traffic driving 45 minutes to a job because I have brothers and sisters in Christ that are struggling to find a job. Thank you that I can provide for my family, for the house that, that we have, for, for the clothes on our back. All right, I, I'm going to let you guys know I shop at Walmart, Target, Goodwill, and the Salvation Army. Man, I look fly as heck. <laughs> okay, but I'm trying to share with you, it's more than that. It's because I don't put these as idle. I don't put these above what God has done for me. He's clothed me with his glory. Man, it doesn't matter what I show up to. If I met you on the street and I'm wearing baggy pants and my tattoos are showing and ripped jeans, and I say, hey, God just told me to bless you with $100. Can I give that to you? How is that different than me showing up with you with a tight suit, vest, like Kevin dressed, and say, hey, God wants me to give you $100, brother. Where's your heart? And that's where I want us to be today. So I want to share with you, you ever heard of two truths and a lie? And we'll finish up. Two truths and a lie. I'm going to do two truths and a reminder. All right, and this is crazy. I didn't know Mr. Tim was going to be here today because I was thinking about you all week about this. Two truths and a reminder. We need to remind our body, the church, of who God is. So the first truth, church, you ready? Beloved kids, listen to this. It's important. God is really on the throne. 
God is really on the throne. That could have been a nice amen if you wanted. All power, all glory, all honor belongs to God alone. Any power given to you, to man, to woman, to anybody in power is given by God alone. That's why the Bible says you are to respect and pray for those in authority, even if you don't agree with them. Even if I don't agree with them, even if you don't agree with them. Because God has his plan at work. We don't belong for this world. Over what we might call chance or coincidence, Haman and his crew, his boys were rolling the dice, thinking that their gods, air quotes, their gods were gonna show up. They don't know the half of it. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33 reminds us, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision belongs to the Lord. The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from God. Every decision, because he's the one on the throne. Number two, now this is important because Mr. Kevin did this last week, so I'm going to challenge the kids. You ready? Number two is he is really for his people. God is really for you. And that's hard to believe. There's a passage, one of my favorite, that says God delights in you. And some days that's hard for me to believe. So kids, this is what I want. If, you're, if your parents give you the okay, I want you to go back on our YouTube video and I want you to count how many times Mr. Kevin says God loves you, he loves you last week. Last week's sermon, he probably said it, I want to say 20, that's my bet, but I'll have a prize for you next week, okay? Because he truly does love you, church. He loves you so much that he's willing to send his son for you because he is really for his people. He sent his son to redeem a broken world. What that means is that he had to lay down his power. He had to lay down his authority through Jesus, lay down his pride as they were ripping Jesus' beard from his head, as they were punching him and whipping him and ripping the skin from his back. Man, all that pride, I would have I been like this the whole time. And he didn't. He took it like this. He took on all our sins and our shames. That is ultimate power. That is ultimate love. Now, here's my reminder. And Mr. Tim, this is what I was thinking about when I was thinking about you. One of my favorite passages in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39 Right? When you are walking through these moments of darkness, when you remember, God, I'm a sinful being, the depravity of our human nature, the injustices around the world, remember this passage. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God this is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's a shout of praise because that is the reminder that we should be pouring into our communities, into our worlds. As we get ready to start school, we should remind them, hey, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. No gas prices, no anything, no economy. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. He came for you. He laid down his power for you. So here's our bottom line. Ben, you ready for our bottom line? Ben's new today and he's been doing awesome. You ready, Ben? A prideful heart will bring about ruin, but gospel humility will show a broken world God's faithful providence. You know, I tell you, I want you to be humble. I want you to be humble Christians, but I want to have pride and power in our God. That is gospel humility. Not in what Reggie can do for myself, not in all the things I know, but in what God has done for me through his son. So maybe you're here today and you're like, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. You better believe it, Reggie. Awesome. Keep fighting and seeking the Lord. Keep following after him. All right, get walk with him daily. And maybe you're here and you're like, Reggie, I'm sorry, bro. Those, that's kind of hard to believe. This God story is kind of hard to believe. I've heard it before. Maybe this is the first time. It's just hard. 
Can I tell you, I've been there. I've, I've said those words before, but I want you to realize that we all walk through this in this struggle of life. On this side of heaven, the chaos, the hurt, the fear, the devastation, who do you turn to? Who do you run to? Because can I tell you, money, power, pride, respect, these false idols can quickly, like this carpet, be pulled from under you. Only God can satisfy your every want and need. He says, come to me, my well will never run dry. If you are thirsty, drink from my well, they will never run dry. If you're hungry, come to me. You'll never go hungry. Only Jesus, church, this is the gospel. This is the good news. It is the salvation and the redemption through Jesus Christ. It is the gift of God to us. Now, you remember I talked about that signet ring? And this is where we close. That signet ring that sealed everything? The cross became God's signet ring. And he sealed it with the blood of his son. The cross became God's signet ring. And here's why. Are you ready? This is for my Bible nerds out there. The Bible is the only book to be translated in more than, more than a thousand languages. And it's still going. As of 2021, or in 2022, I know, it's over 2,000. And I'm talking not just the languages we know. I'm talking about the languages we don't know. And I'm telling, saying like that because I speak one of those. It's called Papiamento, okay? And it's a native tongue. And it's not, the queen doesn't speak it. She speaks Dutch, okay? And so that's why I want to remind you, like, our God's word is so powerful. He's giving us this light to take to a broken world. This is the gospel. This is the good news that we need to share. Because God's influence of power, because of his son, Jesus Christ, his seal of approval, his signet ring, his son, is a provision for his glory for our greater good. His, God's influence of power and his provision is for his glory, for our greater good.